right. Can we put our hands together, honor Jesus? Come on, like we're glad to be at church today. Come on. Come on, it's good to see you at church. I know it's already been said, but if you're here for the first time as our guest, welcome. We're honored that you're in the building. It's a big deal. And all of you watching online, it's an honor that you're online as well. Look, online's good, right? But in person is better, right? I promise it is. Don't go by that. It really is. No, I'm glad that you're here. Go ahead and grab your worship guide and pull out your message notes. If you're a digital note taker, you can grab your phone or your tablet, whatever you've got, and get ready to take some notes there as well. Whatever you do, I just want you to take some notes. We're beginning a series today called Family Circus. I'm really excited about today's message. I hope you wore uh, some uh, real protective shoes because we're getting real personal today. All right, we're talking about our families. Here, I'm going to give you a little heads up for the year. This is what I believe the Lord's doing. I think all year, I feel like the Lord's just ready to stress us and grow us just a little bit more. You know, sometimes you got to dig a little bit deeper, you know, for the foundation to be really solid. Nobody goes out and builds a house just on top of the ground, but they dig down, right, to get ready for the foundation to be laid. And so this year, I feel like God's just going to dig us a little bit deeper. If you were here last month during our Slay series, we did that together. If you missed any of that, you can catch it on the church website app, any podcast platform or whatever, you can catch up, and I encourage you to do so. But today, we're uh, in this series called Family Circus. And uh, I don't know of a better description of our families than to say circus. Now, some of you, you may be like, you know, uh, you know, full house. You know, that just may be where it flows for you. Everything's great and fine and good. But I think for most of us, the circus is a really good description of most of our families. Everybody been to a circus? You remember when there were circus, you know? The circus is a crazy place. It's often been called the greatest show on earth. And I think if people looked into our family sometimes, could just peek into our houses, they would also say, it's like the greatest show on earth. We look really good. But then we close the door and it goes wild. When you get under that big top tent, it just goes crazy. I mean, in the circus, you've got all kinds of people that do all kinds of things. You've got some people that have a lot of talent. You know, they're tightrope walkers. They're acrobats. You know, they swing around. You have some people who, you know, work with animals. Uh, you have some people who you just look at. That's nobody in here. You're not that one in the family. But, you know, some, you know, in the circus, you go and you just, they took that person and went, you're so unique. We'll just say unique. Then we're going to put you on display and people are just going to walk by and stare at you. You know, you got a little too much hair, you know, you know, the bearded ladies. Anybody remember that? How do you sign up to be the bearded lady? Like what happens in your life that you go, you know what? I'm just going to call the circus. That's all I know to do. I'm just the bearded lady. Whatever it is in your families, there's a representation of every part of the circus. It's the craziest show on earth. But I believe in the middle of all of the craziness, God wants to show up right now in this season of our life to bring us some truth to really help us in every relationship, from your marriages to your parenting, uh, to those of you who are single and ready to mingle. Come on, you're trying to make it happen in your life. And then we got some single people that you're like, leave me alone. I'm fine being single. Stop asking me when I'm going to meet somebody and when I'm going to get married. Just leave me alone. And all of those things are okay. Some of you are bosses and you have people who work for you. Some of you work for bosses and you have all these different relationships that we have to navigate. But here is the principle that I want us to run with all month long. It's at the top of your outline, Psalm 127 and 1, and here's what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Here's what I believe that most of us do in the culture that we live. I think we set out to do good. 
I think we have aspirations of what we want to achieve in our relationships, in our families, in our lives, living life on purpose. However, in the midst of a lot of this, we just get our priorities out of place, we get our lives out of alignment, and we become the ones who are building and laboring. And when we take control, when we begin to do it, we get it wrong every single time. We were never designed or intended to be what I titled your message today, The Ringmaster. If you go to a circus, you got the ringmaster. He's the man in charge. He runs the show. He gets the top hat, everybody. I don't know why we stopped doing top hats. I think some of you guys, next week, you should bring the top hat back. Just rock it. I mean, make it a norm again. The top hat, he's got the cool coat, got the boots. I mean, he walks in with a whip. That's the one I want. I want a whip just to walk in and be like, everybody listen. I'm here now. Because when the ringmaster walks under the tent, everybody goes, okay. What's he going to tell us to do? He can even walk into the lion's den and start whipping lions. And they just sit back and look at him like, okay, what do you want us to do? The reality is that for many of us, we have taken the top hat. We've taken the coat. We got the boots and we got the whip like we were ready to do something. And the problem is, is when we walked in the middle of it all, we recognized that we have destroyed the entire circus. We have chaos all around us. You tried to whip the lines, and they looked at you like lunch and started licking their lips, and you went, okay, I want to back off now. Today, what I want us to do is I want us to put our perspective back where it should be. I want us to put God back in the center as the ringmaster. Today, I want to look at a famous story in Genesis chapter 16 that I think will make all of us feel a little bit better about our families, as a matter of fact. I think you'll leave no matter what kind of circus you're living in and go, okay, there's hope for us too. And we're going to see the difference of when you are the ringmaster of your life and you're in control and you're navigating the relationship and you're making the decisions versus when we do it God's way and we follow his plan and he becomes the lead in this circus that we're living in. And so today, I just want to challenge us all just to dismiss our cultural thoughts, dismiss what your feelings are about the issue, and just go, okay, God, just start fresh with me today. And what's in me that needs to change? What's in my relationships that need to change? What's in my thinking that needs to change? Because I've been running the show a little too long. And today, God, I want you to be back at the center of this crazy circus that we're living. So let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for clarity, God. Thank you for, uh, God, just giving us another chance today. None of us in here, regardless of the circumstance we're in, have gone too far or messed up too much. There's hope, and it's because of Jesus. And I pray that your word today would convict us and motivate us to change and to be more like you. God, not so that we would ask you to conform to us, but that we would conform our lives to you. May your word today shape us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to talk about a story of a guy named Abraham and Sarah. And uh, in the scripture, you'll see their names are a little different. God eventually changed their names. We're going to hang with Abraham and Sarah just to make it simple. And we've been talking about them a little bit over the last few weeks and about the life that they've lived. And we're going to be in Genesis 16, but before we dive into that, in Genesis 15... We see that they had this moment with God, that Abraham received a promise from God. You see, their dream, their desire, their life was to be pregnant and to have kids. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, Some of you remember that. And then you had kids and you went, okay, what did we do? But they're still at the pre-parenting stage where they're dreaming of having these kids. And because they have been unable to do so, they're now um, 
mature in life, um, ahead in years, they're old, okay? So they're old, and uh, she is unable to have children. They've lost hope for this. And Abraham has this moment with God where God literally shows up and says, Hey, man, listen to me. I want to let you know, you're going to be a dad. And not only are you going to be a dad, but I'm about to blow your mind. Hey, Abraham, walk with me. Walk outside with me. Look at the stars. Isn't that amazing? Look at the stars in the sky. Isn't that awesome? Abraham, your descendants from your children, from your family, is going to outnumber every star in this sky. Mind-blowing, right? This is awesome. Yay, God. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God, and because he believed him and trusted him, he was called a man of great faith. I mean, how amazing. You've got a man who's had a conversation with God, a promise from God, is a man of great faith because he has believed and trusted God, and it's absolutely incredible, Genesis 15. And then we move into Genesis 16, and then everything begins to fall apart, which is where I believe many of us end up in the process of this crazy circus that we're living in. I want you to write this statement down. Here's a chaotic circus that we live in when we are the master of disobedience. So what happened when Moses, or I mean Abraham, not Moses, uh, come on guys, Abraham gets this promise from God. Abraham gets this promise from God, but it doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go. You ever noticed that before? You ever got a promise from God and you're like, all right, by this afternoon, everything's going to change. And you get home, and you look at the people that's crazy around you, you go, you got no idea what's coming. It's about to be all right. And then the sun goes down, and you wake up the next day, and everything is still the same. You ever heard from God that go, hey, freedom's coming your way. The depression's about to go. Your spouse, everything's about to be all right. Your kid's not going to be crazy anymore. And then you wake up Monday, and it's the same Monday as you spent last week. And time begins to go on. You see, Abraham and Sarah have found themselves in this same cycle that many of us would find ourselves in. Look what happens. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had been unable to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Now, let's don't skip over that too quick. That's a dangerous statement right there. Do you recognize that? The Lord has prevented me. He hasn't showed up. That promise that he gave us, that's, that hasn't happened. That hasn't been fulfilled. He has prevented me from having children. So, hey, Abraham, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham said, okay, sweetheart, if that's what you want. <laughs> Abraham agreed with her proposal. Now, sweetheart, you know I'm a loving, obedient husband. And if that's really what you want, I'll get at it right away. <laughs> okay? Haste. Now, I want you to understand that they had a promise from God. And in the middle of the waiting, in the middle of the silence, in the middle of the uncertainty, in the quiet, in the moment that they felt abandoned, in the moment that they felt like they had been forgotten, suddenly... The ringmaster, who was in control of this circus, was put outside the tent. And the top hat changed positions. And the whip changed hands. And suddenly Sarah says, I'm in charge of this show. God has prevented me from doing this. 
So now I am about to take control. You see, they took their attention off of the ringmaster. And they put their attention on their circumstances. How many of us in this room are in this dangerous position of our life where you're waiting on God for something, you're praying to God for something, you're wanting your family to be one thing, but instead of listening and following and watching and waiting the ringmaster, you have now dressed yourself up. And if you were to look in the mirror, you would see yourself standing there fully dressed as the ringmaster of your life. Here's the challenge. Write this statement down. I must master your checkpoint, my attention. Because your attention and where it is placed is what will make the difference in your life. Sarah said, hey, God didn't show up, so we're going to do it. Now, I want you to catch something real quick. We put a lot, we, we kind of gasp a little bit when we realize that Sarah, you know, she's like, hey, I got a servant. Go make me a baby. We're like, oh, my gosh, what kind of twisted family is this? But this was not uncommon in culture. This was a surrogate situation. They didn't have medical facilities like we do today. Same principle, they just had to take a different route. The sin was not in the surrogate. The sin was in the fact that they had taken their attention off of the one who was leading the show. The sin took place in the moment where they said, God, you've failed, you've messed up, you got it wrong, so now we are in control. And I'm telling you, you can take this right here and you can look at this across every aspect of across our country, through our history, in your family, and in your life, in every aspect. You think about the world that we live, our culture, America that we live in today, it's very different today than it was just 10 years ago. Just the shifting and the changing of our culture. But we were founded on Christian principles. This country was founded as a place of religious freedom and liberty to be able to worship God. And we have taken that focus, that attention from those things, and we've shifted that. Our education system, we have great educators, we have great schools, we have all these great things. But it is, I mean, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a secret that we've removed God and the very core culture of Christianity from our schools. The education that we used to receive that did things like brought freedom to those who were enslaved, that limited tyranny to take place in our country. The Christianity that said we must treat others better than we treat ourselves and that we must respect and love all people no matter our disagreements and that we must all live life together because everybody is a value. Instead of what we've done, we begin to remove those principles and we begin to exchange them for our own. In our media that runs our country today, our social media, everything that we're receiving and everything that we're fed, it's not a, it's not a, you know, it's, it's not a political statement. It, it, it's not a conspiracy theory. Uh, there's silencing that's taken place in our country to prevent a certain way of thinking that tends to lean itself back to a biblical stance of the ringmaster leading us. See, this is why it's important because it's happening all around us. It's in our face. It's in our culture. And we absorb it every single day. And if our attention is not on God and His ways and His thoughts, then we're going to get it wrong. It happens in our families. Our families, listen to me, we do a lot of great things, but we're busy people, aren't we? We get up early. We get the kids everywhere they've got to go. They're at school all day. We rush them to every ball and every uh, extracurricular activity and all great things. And then we bring them home. We dunk them in some water. We stick a corn dog in their mouth and we stick them in the bed. I love you. We'll do it all over again. Now you got to practice, practice, practice because Saturday's the big show. We're going to be there all day and it's going to be tiring. So I don't know if we're going to feel well enough to go to church on Sunday. But maybe next week we will. 
37 minutes a day on average is what a family spends quality time together. 37 minutes a day. I didn't make that up. You can Google it. It's in the, it's in the research. But you know how many hours we spend on social media every day? Three hours average every day. We can TikTok and Instagram with the best of them. And we know how to put that 37 minutes on Instagram and TikTok really good. But all the meanwhile, our families are falling apart. Our relationships are falling apart. 65% of married people say that their date nights include running errands and doing household chores. Hey, baby, we got a hot date tonight. We're going to hit the grocery store, and then we're going to come home, and you're going to take out the garbage. Hey, hey. It's going to be good. It's going to be all right. When we remove our attention from the ringmaster and we begin to do it ourselves, we begin to do things like, God, I need you to conform to my feelings because I feel this way. I think this. This is what my truth is and this is what my way is and it's dangerous because we've removed God's way. Hey, God, I know you made me a promise. That was cool. That whole star in the sky thing, that's awesome. But see, we got another plan, and we're going to work it our way. And it's disobedience. And disobedience, number two, my disobedience, I become the master of dysfunction. Dysfunction. (laughs) Anybody know what that is? That was called Christmas, okay? (laughs) See, some of us think we're the normal one in our family. That's called dysfunction, okay? (laughs) Like that. We, we begin to make decisions that's outside of God's best. We begin to embrace our own way of doing things and reshaping the truth and reforming the way that it works. And then here's what happens. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar. And guess what, everybody? She became pregnant. Boom. Plan successful, right? Isn't that what we wanted? That was the dream. We're getting the baby. We fixed it. God couldn't do it, but we did. Hey, God, you couldn't bring a baby. We did it. We got one on the way. We've already got the nursery painted. Come on, we got all the stuff coming. But there's another but. When you see a but coming, you know something's about to happen. Okay, Keep that in context. Don't just quote that part. Okay. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, y'all ready for this? She began to treat her mistress with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abraham, you guys knew it was coming. (laughs) Y'all ready for this? This is all your fault. But you told me, nope, this is your fault. You did this. You created this. I put my servant in your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. And here's where it gets deep. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Oh, man, Abraham is in deep water now. This is all your fault. And now you go to that bedroom and I'll go to this one and God will decide who's running this household. So now they're passing each other in the hallway in the same house and they're not even talking. And they don't even know how they got there. They don't even know how this became their reality. How are we living this life? God personally showed up to us and said, Hey, senior citizens, you're about to have babies that's going to populate the whole world. We were on the verge of a miracle. And now we got our miracle. 
But something's still not right. You know what's not right? Disobedience leads to dysfunction. Even if you get what you asked for. You can get what you desire. But when it's given on your time and on your power and in your ability, it will leave you empty and in dysfunction every single time. I must master, write this down, my action. It's the everyday, mundane, day-by-day, minute-by-minute decisions that is what culminates in your life. Your life and my life is a product of daily decisions. Your daily decisions determine your destinations. And good intentions will not get you to the desired destination that you want to go. You can get on Facebook and you can see those little memories that pop up. Aren't those awesome? Like one year ago, five years ago. You, oh, the babies were so small. Oh, that was such a good time. You know what those were? Those were snapshots and moments of the entirety of your life. You may have a handful of those in a year. But you know what was separating those? The dysfunctional moments in between all of those little snapshots. And the daily decisions it took to enjoy those snapshots. See, many of us discount the daily decisions that we make. I'm going to, twenty. you know, this is my year. 2023, New Year's resolutions. I'm going to shed the pounds. Well, this is the daily decisions to determine if we do that, isn't it? I'm going, to, I'm going to spend less money. Well, it's the daily decisions. It's those little trips into the, it's just the gas station. Well, they charge you 50 times more than anybody else. And you stop four times a day. It's the daily decisions that seem so small and so minute that add up to the totality of our life. Let me ask you this question today. What's got your attention? Who has your attention? I wanted to bring us some wisdom from the cats in the cradle. You know what I'm talking about? You know that 70s song? I'm reaching back here. I don't like this song, by the way, but it convicted me. Listen to what it says. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be just like you. Whether they're saying it or not, that's what they mean. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like him. You know, I'm going to be just like him. While he came home from college just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the keys to the car. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day and I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. It's generational. It's the culmination of daily decisions that determine the destination in which we end. Today, some of you are experiencing things in your life in this crazy circus. 
You didn't realize you were born into a circus. Jesus was born into a manger. You were born into. And you've got this revolving cycle of characters and things that's happening around you. And you never knew why you ended up there. It's because it's a culmination of daily decisions. I'm spending my life having to leave behind decisions that were made for me. That I'm having to allow God to refine me and to change me and to make me into who he wants me to be. So that every day from this day moving forward, these daily decisions will culminate one day in the life of my son. That his life will be very different than the life that I have lived and that I have walked through. But you know what? It's whatever gets my attention. Listen, everybody. I know this is elementary. But God must be in the center of it all. He has to be the ringmaster. And I want you to ask yourself that question and and it be a very sobering, honest question with an honest answer. Is he really the center of your life? I'm not asking do you go to church. I'm not asking do you serve. I'm not asking do you give. I'm not asking do you know Bible stories. I'm asking you that when you wake up in the morning, is he the reason that there's breath in your lungs? Is he the reason that you exist on this planet? Is he the purpose behind every decision that you make? Because here's the deal. We spend life and we make our own ways and then we get what we get. Look, we got a lot of kids that are really good at lots of things. They're good dancers and ball players and man, that's incredible. But if they don't know Jesus, it don't matter how good they can throw a ball. If they don't know Jesus, it don't matter how good they can dance. If they don't know Jesus, it don't matter how many awards are on the shelf. If they don't know Jesus, what they do, it does not matter how good it makes you feel. Because one day, when you wake up and go, how did we get here? It's daily decisions. He's got to be at the center. Your spouse, everybody, must be number two. Let me tell you this. The greatest ministry God has given to any of us is our spouse. That means you say, well, i got to work all the time because i got to provide. No, you don't have to have two $70,000 cars parked in your driveway. You don't even have to have cable TV. (laughs) There's a lot of you don't have to's. Because you know what's going to happen? All that stuff is going to waste away. And one day you hope the people closest to you still want to sit close to you. The Bible says that a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And you're not gonna, men, you're not going to find any greater sacrifice than that. As a matter of fact, when Abraham was being a good husband and said, Hey, whatever you want, sweetheart. Hagar. God called him to be the head of his household. Listen to me, man. If you're sitting in this room or watching online, God called you to lead your household. That was the moment where Abraham said, you know what, Sarah, I understand you're struggling. And I know that your heart's broken because you want to be able to provide a baby. And Sarah, you know what? I know you're embarrassed by it. I know the women are talking. And I know you feel, but let me just tell you, God spoke to us. And so we're going to trust the Lord. In this house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then you know what the Bible says? A woman is to submit to her husband. And see, we've treated that in our culture like that's making you less than. Like that makes you second place. But you know what happens? When Abraham submits to God and says, no, we don't need Hagar. We've got the father. You know what Sarah wants to do? She wants to get close to her husband because she's getting close to God. 
Because he's following and hanging on to Jesus. See, it's not a less than thing. It's a partnership thing. And see, God designed for us to live in the family that way. Ladies, listen. You can't do it by yourself. Now, if God's called you to single, but let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. You need a man to have a baby. You need a man to have a family. It's, you're not, you, you have value and you have worth. God gave it to you. But this independence of culture that it paints that you think is going to be fulfilling, it's a lie from culture. That's why we get all of these things, and then we're still empty, and then we start picketing and protesting for something else because we're searching for it. God's way, the ringmaster, is the right way. Ladies, I know some of you in here, you're leading the spiritual maturity of your home. And I'm sorry you have to do that. But you keep doing it. You keep showing up. You keep saying, hey, Abraham, I wish you could see this, but I, don't, I didn't forget that God spoke to us. You just hang on. It's going to happen. God's going to do it. And then the Bible says that our kids, we're to train them and raise them up in the way of the Lord. We're to teach them. It's nobody's fault but our own. I love our schools, but they're not to raise my kid. I love my church, but you don't raise my kid. So you reinforce what I'm teaching to my kid. See, when my son comes in this place, he goes, oh, this is, okay, mom and dad were right. This is it. This is great. This is what it's supposed to be. He's going to know Jesus more than he's going to know anything else. That way, you know what happens? When your kid becomes the greatest slugger and the greatest home run hitter, the greatest touchdown maker, the greatest dancer, all those great things, because you did it in order, you know what they're going to do? They're going to say, all to the glory of God. Because the Bible says, whatever we do, we do it unto who? The Lord. So instead of culture going, I scored it. I did it. I made it. I got it. I'm the best. You say, no, mm -mm. God gave me this platform so that people could see him through me. You know how you get there? Your attention. Daily decisions. Your actions. They have to follow after the Lord. He has to be the ringleader. And then number three, when we do it our own way, ultimately here's where we end up. We become the master of disappointment. The master of disappointment. Notice what happens. Abraham replied, look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. So Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. I feel like today there may just be some people in here that are sitting at this, this moment. You're disappointed because you've been doing a lot. And you've been trying to make it happen. But if you were to stand in the mirror today, maybe you would notice that you're wearing the outfit of the ringmaster. And you haven't fully submitted to the Lord. So you're tired and you're disappointed and you're wore out. And you're almost to the place of just giving up. Abraham just said, hey, look, you deal with it. I'm, I'm tired. I don't, have the, I don't have the way to do it anymore. When you live life that way, ultimately, it ends in disappointment. But here's what you need to know. You need to master your attitude. Matt Power said, speaking last week at our Columbiana campus, he said, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. You've got to go home and read it. He left us on a cliffhanger. So I'm going to tell you, go home and read the rest of the story. God did amazing things through this family. It was redeemable. It was disappointment along the way, but let me tell you, the attitude, your attitude is your authority. The attitude of your life, the nose is either pointing up and you're about to take off, 
or the nose of your life is pointing down and you're about to crash. And the difference is what you decide. Today, my encouragement for us is this. God, take my attitude, take my outlook, and take my heart. And God, rearrange everything about me so that you become number one in your proper place in this crazy family circus that we have. God, you've got to be the ringmaster. You're the man in charge. Today, I think most of us, probably all of us, should probably repent of the areas of our life that we've tried to control it. Because we've wanted the promise so bad, we were willing to make it happen. But today, God said, just a reminder for you, I'm in control. I'm doing it, not you. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. If you'll bow your head, close your eyes where you're at. Nothing weird or funny is going to happen if you're our guest. Our team's going to come back and just play softly. And I'm going to pray for us. And you're going to stay right where you're at. Those of you watching online, I just pray that if you can, wherever you are, to just limit distraction in this moment. Because I just want the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to us today. And here's what I would say for us today. Number one, if we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus... That's the first step. Psalms that we read today said, hey, look, unless the Lord builds the house, we're just laboring in vain. We can work really hard, but if God's not doing it, if he's not the ringmaster, we're just spinning our wheels. So maybe today you would say, yeah, I've been doing it. I've been in control. I've been in charge. You want to put Jesus number one in your life. Man, today's your day. And then for many of us today, you know where you are in your relationships. And by the way, these principles apply to not just our relationships, but every area of our life. But today, I know that marriages struggle. I see the connect cards, we read the prayer request. Relationships are a challenge. Marriages are tough. Parenting is tough. Being a caretaker is tough. Adults parenting your parents, that stage of life is tough. There's all kind of dynamics represented with our families. But I can tell you this. When he's at the center, it changes everything. You may have to wait on the promise. It may not come overnight. It may not be fixed in a day. But God's faithful. And He's good. So today, let's put Him back in the center of it all. Father, today, I thank You for man, this incredible Word. I thank You for our church. I thank You for people gathered at both of our campuses. 9 and 10 15 today I thank you for every person watching online I pray that this is a Holy Spirit moment for all of us that the the power of the Holy Spirit would just convict us and show us the weaknesses that we have the areas of our life that we need to submit to you we just choose today Jesus first of all we're going to give you our sin our shortcomings and our selfishness and our disobedience we choose today Jesus to put you first in our life Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for sacrifice. Thank you for forgiveness and relationship. We receive that today. We're going to walk out of here different because of you. 
And God, I pray across the board of all the difficulties of our relationship, this family circus that we navigate, God, I pray that you help every person speak to them today exactly where they are, exactly what they need. God, may we honor you in everything that we do so that we can see your promises fulfilled, so that we can live life on purpose the way you intended us to live it. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in this room, for the restoration that's happening, for the peace that's coming. You're putting fathers back as the head of their households, husbands, the head of their homes. God, you're convicting us in areas that we need to step up, that we need to do it your way. And Jesus, we thank you for it. In your precious name, amen. Come on, church. Can we honor the Lord together? Come on, he's so good.